I learned how to separate the business and my personal life and to be fully invested in whatever I am focusing on at that moment. That's the voice of Greg Strine, one of the most consistently excellent performers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. With some sage advice, to be fully invested in whatever you are focusing on in that moment. Greg's success didn't come easily. It took sacrifice, commitment, and discipline. Greg shares his path and his lessons in this powerful conversation. And he sums it up with this. The future is very bright in Chicago, so we're excited about what's about to happen. I know you'll gain some valuable insights from the experience and wisdom of Greg Strine. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I have one of the most consistent and prolific achievers in vector marketing as a guest on the podcast today. It's Mr. Greg Strine, who is our Chicago division manager. Uh, he started in the business in 1988, the same year that I started, Greg. We are uh, twins in that way in the business. Greg was going to school at Bradley University. And upon his graduation, he became a district manager in Naperville, suburb of Chicago was one of our most consistent performers for many years as a district manager, number one district in the company in 2005, ultimately promoted to division manager for Wisconsin. Greg relocated up to Milwaukee for about six years where he built that organization and then eventually had the opportunity to return to his home territory in Chicago, where he is now the Chicago division manager. His division was number one in the company in our what's called our Elite Eight category in 2017 and 2018. And his division has been number one in creating new rep sales in the company the last four years in a row. So truly, as I've said, a prolific, amazing achiever, Hall of Fame member. I'm grateful to have you on the podcast today. Greg Strine, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to have a good conversation and I know people will learn a lot from being able to hear your wisdom and your insights, Greg. So let's take this back to when you first got started with uh, Cutco and Vector and just tell us a little bit about where you're at and how you got started with the business. Well, 
what attracted me to the business was just the people. As for most of us, I started in the pilot office, which didn't have an assistant manager. And so our core key staff, we just bonded. We kind of became the assistants of the office. And I just loved the atmosphere and the people. And it just seemed a place like I wanted to grow in. And I didn't start till after my junior year of college. And so I was kind of put in the fast track for management, which uh, just created that excitement of moving up quickly. I, I love that opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. And so you became a branch manager pretty quickly, right? You branched in, it was in Peoria, Illinois? Yes. I went from rep to branch uh, the very next summer. Right. And then became a district manager in Naperville after that in 1990, right? Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us about some of your experiences in the early days of being a district manager, just uh, you know how your career evolved and some of the lessons that you learned. I'd say some of the big lessons that I learned was the power of sacrifice. I remember I was the pilot sales manager actually in the spring of 1990. And uh, back then, the pay structure was a lot different for pilot sales managers. And uh, I sacrificed a lot. I was a college graduate working over 50 hours a week in an office, not making a whole heck of a lot. And my parents kept questioning whether this was the right place to be. And I just remember when I opened my office in May, we had four training classes. And I remember a specific training class. There's a memory I have that's very vivid where we had 28 show to day one. I launched 18 people from training Memorial Day weekend. And after that weekend at advanced training, I had two people show up for advanced training. The entire training class sold less than 3000 At the end of May, my office was at $3,400 in sales. I'm not sure if I was last place in the company. I thought I was last place just based on how well we were performing. And it was actually the opportunity was either, am I going to make it? Or I just had that desire because I sacrificed so much to get to where I was. And sometimes sacrifice, I believe, is a really good thing. The more someone puts into something, the more they are not going to give up on it. And so we just dug in. I developed a key staff over the summer. And by the end of the summer, we were the number six new office in the company. And so we just kept working harder and every month was bigger. Our biggest month was August. And so we just built on that. And so that was the setting a stage for knowing that I can actually do anything I want. When things don't look good, right around the corner, something good is going to happen. And so I experienced ups and downs in the business, but that was a great opportunity. It's kind of like an athlete when you train really hard and if you out-train uh, everybody else, you're going to do whatever it takes to win. And that's kind of how I've looked at the business. I work hard at it. And so I don't give up. And that's the, probably the biggest lesson I've, I've learned in Dr. Well, I, I just love what you said there just now, that direct quote, I don't give up. I think that Vector is truly a microcosm of life and that uh, in advancing through the Cutco Vector organization, one has to overcome various challenges, starting from relatively small ones, but occasionally growing into much bigger ones. One has to experience some level of self-doubt at times and be able to get past that. One has to learn how to do well, develop the skills, right? And you have to be able to have that persistence to hang in there through all that instead of saying, oh, this is too hard. I'm just going to go do this other thing over here that's easier. But the reality is the rewards are greater when the challenge is greater. And if you learn not to give up, 
you're able to put yourself in a position to harvest great rewards as you have in your long and illustrious career here after getting through those early stages. So it's cool to hear that you experienced those things early on. So you evolved up towards being the number one DM in the company in 2005. What were some of the success factors that enabled you to take your game in developing others to such a high level that you could be the number one district in the company? Yeah, it was interesting. I had my career that had some ups and downs. You know, my first full year as a district manager, we had the number two district in the company as a district. And, uh, so I was feeling like I made it and I was, you know, getting kind of the big head. The next year we were one of the top districts again. Next year, another top district. And I got a little overconfident where I wasn't growing. And my business took a dip. I got into a relationship. Mm. It continued to take a dip. And I actually considered leaving the business. And then there was a a change. Several of my peers in the business got promoted to division manager. And I didn't because I wouldn't have promoted me either. I was on a downward turn. And so then I uh, started to look at how to build the business differently and how to grow the business. And But I also got stagnant. We had, I think, four years in a row where we did over 900,000, but less than a million. And uh, it was breaking through. And I just remember just having this mindset going into 2005 and really planning it out and saying, we're going to get off to a great year. and. Uh, in January, I thought we were going to have a killer big dance. I lost my voice. My sales manager ran a training. He'd never run a training before. And it kind of tanked. But we were able to ha- save a handful of the people. And we went on a string of 10 weeks in a row over 20,000 to start the year off. Finished the spring at 300 and some odd thousand. And then we had to, just had momentum. And we hit a million dollars before the end of July. And so it was building momentum and building people and just building a powerhouse organization. So that was just, and and just working with people and really diving in with them. Wow. It, It really instructive for people to hear that you got what you said about, you got so overconfident that you weren't growing. And I do think that that's sort of a natural tendency people will experience in life is that you complacency kind of sets in at times. And we feel like we can continue to elevate our performance just because we're one year older in what we're doing, one year more experienced in what we're doing. I once, uh, you know, heard a story of somebody who was asking, you know, hey, how come I wasn't promoted? This wasn't in Vector, it was someplace else, but a person said, how come I wasn't promoted? You know, I've got 20 years of experience. And the, the uh, boss said, well, no, actually, you've got one year of experience 20 times. And, you know, the person was going through the same motions year after year and not evolving. And perhaps, you know, you went through a little period of that in your career, but then you realized that, you know, you had a lot of bigger opportunities that you could harvest if you were continuing to grow. And uh, 2005 was a real breakthrough for you. Pretty cool to hear about the strong start that you had. I think that if people have a strong start in any goal, it alters their expectations, it alters their confidence, which increases their motivation, which makes it more likely that they're going to hit the goal. And, you know, it was awesome to see you be able to break through in such a way during that year. Now, I understand that you had a challenge during this time in being able to balance work with your personal life, particularly when you got into a serious relationship. And for many young entrepreneurs, oftentimes it's all about work at first, but down the road, 
right? Being able to balance a relationship with work is obviously a critical piece of the puzzle of success and fulfillment in life. Tell us about your experience and what you learned through that challenge. Any new relationship, it's, you know, you have that honeymoon stage of the relationship and the tendency is to throw life off balance. And I see this happen with a lot, especially a lot of young people. And I was a young person and I wanted to put more into the relationship. It was, first of all, having a false belief that you can't have a great relationship with a busy workload and that I have to work this much to succeed in Vector and I can't do that with building a relationship. And so as I was putting more time into the relationship, I was sacrificing a lot of time for work. And so that was happening quite a bit. And so uh, what I took away was, first of all, I actually became frustrated. I remember Marty Dimitrovich once say, if you're going to leave the business, leave on top. And again, seeing some of my peers get promoted when that was happening, and then I'm in this relationship, I want to get married. And then I decided what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go crush it next year and leave the business. That was actually the decision I made. And so I made that decision and we crushed it and I was loving the business again. Okay. Now, by the way, that started going good in one direction, but then all of a sudden my relationship started to suffer a little bit. So Mm -hmm. now it was more work and not having a great relationship. So I just remember I was working really hard. We had a $700,000 plus summer. Most of it was new business. And we were, things were great in the office. I needed to learn how to do the right kind of balance. And so what I, I learned is how I wanted to build my infrastructure in my office and had to learn how to delegate properly, how to work through people. And what was interesting is I started teaching people to be better at the business because the focus was helping people become as good or better than myself at the skills that I excelled at. And so that became the priority. And then when that happened, uh, we saw the growth to the 900,000 and the million dollars and or it was 1.2 million and continued growth. Yeah. So it's interesting that you were experiencing, you know, this budding relationship and you're putting a ton into it and your business kind of went in reverse. And then you decided for a year, you're going to crush it in your business and your relationship kind of went in reverse. And then you began to figure out how to put both of those things together. And I feel like for anyone listening to the podcast, like this is a common challenge that virtually everyone is going to experience at some level. And the reality is we all should be able to balance two or even three or even four, you know, key elements of our life, whether it's work and relationships or work and relationships and kids or work and relationships and kids and some other key hobby that we have. Like it's not that difficult to be able to balance more than one thing as long as we're understanding what are the key activities that add value in our lives and we're making schedule and following it and things like that. So you've been able to figure that out with work and relationship. And now you have a daughter as well, right? Is in fourth grade. And so how do you put that all together you know, with work and family and having, you know, your, your relationship and being able to get it all done as a division manager. How, how have you been able to put that all together? Yeah. So that was a, a major focus for me because I always brought my work home way back in the day. And I see it happen with a lot of people where they feel like they're working all the time in Vector and I don't. And I learned how to separate the business and my personal life and to be fully invested in 
whatever is I am focusing on at that moment. I remember vividly having a conversation with Marty Dimitrovich, and it was about relationships. And Marty was someone I always respected because of his business relationships and his personal relationships. And so he told me this. He said, on your drive home, pick a spot that you do not do any more phone calls, do not take any more phone calls, and that you shut off the business at that moment. And so it reminds me of like the movie Over the Top. Do you remember that? Where like Sylvester Stallone turns the hat, like flip the switch. And uh, so that was kind of, no one on the podcast will know it except for the older people. That's like three of us, me, you, and Carpenter. But it's like shutting off the the business. And I, I became intentional about doing that. And then he said, think about Kelly and how you want to show up when you get home. And so then it was, the focus was on my wife and now it's the focus on my family. And so, but I had that same stop sign on my way home. That's about five minutes away from home. And that's real powerful for me. And so I want to separate. I want to focus on what's most important to me. And that's my family when I'm with my family. And I don't want anything interrupting that because that's, uh, that's the most important thing to me. So I love the people I work with and I love my relationships with my family. And so I want to separate those and make sure that I, I do that. So on the weekends, I'll put my phone in the drawer. Okay. And some people are like, I can't get a hold of you. I'm like, and my organization knows that they don't get a hold of me on weekends when, you know, certain weekends I'm available, you know, especially during some key times. But most weekends I'm not available because I put my phone in a drawer and I, I want to shut off the technology and the outside world from interrupting what's most important to me. Now, by the way, when I was a new DM, I would never recommend that for a new DM. So like the first three years in the business, you know, where until you have a really strong staff that can fully function without communicating, then I don't recommend that. But for me, that what was most important to me was being able to have that engagement, fully engaged with whatever activity I'm doing, whether it be family, friends, financial, spiritual, whatever that might be, being fully engaged with what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a great concept. You know, there's a Jim Ronism where he says, wherever you are, be there. And and I just think that's such an important idea for success, both at work and in life, personally. And everybody listening can kind of take this concept and interpret it in whatever way you want. If you're the kind of person like Greg that can put the phone away, that's great. If you don't feel like you can fully put the phone away, like to be able to communicate when what hours you're available when you are available so that people kind of know what to expect and they know, right? Like, I'm not going to have the phone when I'm eating dinner, but when I'm done, you know, I'll peek and see if there's anything that I got to respond to. I suppose that's acceptable for people that feel like you have to be really attached to it. But I just think that uh, for the most part, there's nothing so urgent in any of our lives that we can't, you know, devote several hours when you get home uh, to be able to have, you know, pure focus on your, you know, your significant other and your kids during that time. There's a guy in the dad's group that uh, I'm a part of who shared a, he has a ritual where every day when he gets home, they put his phone in a gun safe and his kids, you know, ceremoniously lock the gun safe and, you know, they shut it and it's in the gun safe and he doesn't take it out again until the kids are in bed. And uh, I just thought that was kind of a funny ritual that one person has for being able to do that. And what I think is important, which you described, Greg, is communicating expectations, right? That's what's important. So if you're going to be unavailable for your colleagues, 
If they know you're going to be unavailable, they deal with problems when they come up. And if you're going to have a night or a weekend where you need to answer your phone for some particular reason, right? Maybe it's a peak training class in the summer that you've run and you want to be available to those representatives over their first couple of days. Well, you communicate that to your wife and your daughter so that they know, hey, this particular weekend, I am going to be working as needed when things come up. And if you're communicating expectations clearly, that's, I think everybody understands, and that's one of the big keys to being able to balance multiple different key activities in life. You got anything else you want to share on that topic, Greg? No, I just need to get a gun safe, I guess, but besides that. (laughs) I think a desk drawer works just fine, Greg. Like you said, you put it in the drawer. So, well, Greg, you've always had a, a reputation for being smart financially. And I know that you were able to build over a $1 million net worth as a district manager in Vector before even being promoted to division manager. And I'm wondering if you could share some tips that have helped you to set yourself on a positive track financially. I was fortunate to be a part of a family that focused on living beneath the means. And so I grew up, I always felt comfortable, but I never felt like we were well off. And so I felt like I needed to mow lawns. I worked in a grocery store. Every time I had money, I remember my mom would give me $2 for lunch. I'd spend a dollar and save the dollar. And my dad was just so good at saving. And so that just kind of transferred to me. And so it was all about living beneath the means. And I did that as a district manager. I was very shrewd with negotiating office space. When we put ads in newspapers, I'd negotiate those. I was always trying to negotiate. I would hear Marty Dimitrovich talk about trading Cutco to get office rent and that he sometimes wouldn't pay office rent because he used Cutco as a trade. And just doing the types of things that set myself up. I think so many people these days, in my era too, our era too, just you wanted things. Like, you know, I remember being young, seeing someone in a Ferrari and going, oh, that person's too old to have a Ferrari. Well, they did delayed gratification. They saved their money when they were younger, so they were able to have that. And so to me, it's delayed gratification. I never drove the fancy car. We never had the BMW opportunity uh, in Vector, right? I think it's just showing good discipline when it comes to spending. It's like making lunch and bringing it in. It's not going out to eat. As a uh, new manager, I would bring lunch. I wouldn't go out to eat a lot because that that adds up quite a bit. And uh, so whenever I've looked at people's expense reports and see someone who's not good with money, it's usually the same type of person who goes out and goes to Chipotle every day and spends 11 bucks a day or maybe even twice a day at Chipotle. And so those little things make a big difference. And so just the discipline and sometimes forced discipline is really good too. So I invest, I have money that's taken out of my account every single month at the exact same time, every single month, and that just gets invested. There's many different avenues of investing. I'm not going to get into those, but like just simple dollar cost averaging and living beneath your means and taking part of what you make and, and putting it away for your future. And I really believe that every person can live with less. If you take out 20% of what you make, there's a lot of books that say 10, but I believe if you took out 20% of what you earn and save it for your future, you're going to become very wealthy and a very quick rate. So just a belief I have. Yeah. You know, what you just shared really starts with a philosophy. It's a way of thinking because a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's easy for Greg to say that he could save regularly. Like I'm not making enough right now and I'm not going to be able to do, I'll do that when I make more. 
And the reality is, no matter what someone is making, unless you're, you know, at the extreme lowest end of the spectrum, you can be saving something and you're establishing a habit that you can cultivate for later. But the person that says, oh, I will save when I make more, what ends up happening is that that doesn't occur. Your wants grow to eat up all of your available money until you decide that saving first is the way that you're going to approach your financial future. And that idea of forced discipline, of investing monthly, right? In Vector, if you're a district manager or a top rep, we have an opportunity to participate in the program through Smith Barney where we can invest a portion of our paychecks on a regular basis free of charges. It's an awesome program. It's amazing. And it, it happened because one of the original heads of Cutco uh, is good friends with one of the you know key vice presidents at Smith Barney. And they got together years ago and decided to start this program. And this program helped me build wealth throughout my 20s because I was taking advantage of it on a regular basis. And you're investing money monthly. You're capitalizing on what Greg mentioned as dollar cost averaging. For anybody that doesn't understand that, if you invest a specific amount monthly, when the market is lower, you're buying more. When the market is higher, you're buying less. The buy low part of buy low, sell high is being forced upon you. And if it wasn't forced upon you, you'd mess it up somehow. And so that's what's good about investing monthly and particularly through the Smith Barney program that Vector offers. You can do that. And you could start by a small percentage. Greg referenced saving 20% of your income. I think that that's at least where people should be, probably even 30%. But you can start with 10 or 5 or even less, as long as it's developing the habit of saving and investing. So that was really good stuff right there. You also said you never bought a car new. And just there are smart things people can do. You talked about food, eating, right? As much as I love Chipotle, by the way, you can't eat out every day and be smart financially, right? And Buying cars is a key thing to think about also. It's like cars depreciate so much right out of the gate, right? I did have two pretty nice cars during my 20s, a BMW and then another BMW, not that Vector paid for, which they now do for our district managers. I paid for them myself. But in both cases, they were slightly used. And they were slightly used meant like one of them had like 12,000 miles on it when I bought it. The other one probably had like five or six but there was enough that a lot of the depreciation had already occurred and I was able to get really good deals. And I know for the first one, I paid for it in cash, wrote a check in full. And so, you know, I was able to make sure that I was at least while having a nice car, doing it in a way that was at least semi responsible. And I didn't get my first real like luxury car until I had a million dollar net worth. That was one of the things I rewarded myself when I achieved a million dollar net worth was that I got a Maserati and I quickly reduced that net worth by a good amount, but you know, I was on a really good track already at that point. So I think it's okay to reward yourself when you hit milestones. And as long as you're saving first, how you spend the rest doesn't matter that much. So anyway, uh, good stuff there, Greg. How about let's talk about building your organizations because you've been a prolific builder in this business. You went to Wisconsin and you built that organization fast and large. And then in coming back to Chicago, you've been able to create a juggernaut organization, which, as I've said, has been a national champion in our company and in you know, one of the top divisions here over the last few years. What do you feel like have been some of the keys to building your organizations into the national powerhouse that you have now? Sure. I think the first is just the 
belief I have in the district manager opportunity. I mean, I was a district manager for 15 years and took advantage of the opportunity. I promoted a lot of DMs, branches, and ran offices, made good income. And so, first of all, the belief that the opportunity is great for people is very strong in me and was strong when I took over Wisconsin. And then it's the next step is identifying the talent. For me, it was identifying the talent. It was pretty easy. I took over Wisconsin and Kevin Hanna was running the test office up there and he had just promoted Dane Espigard to DM. And so Dane had just run an office for four months. And that was some amazing talent that I noticed right away with an incredible work ethic. And uh, it just needed to be sharpened up with a skill set. Chris Naku, who is one of the most charismatic people I know, and being able to use their talents to help build the organization. And that was the first thing that I did. And it was, I'd say one of the strengths I have is identifying talents and then finding out what they really want and what's really important to a person and showing them how Vector fits that mold. And Mm -hmm. so everybody has a path that they're going. And if the path isn't with Vector, but Vector can be the vehicle that gets them to where they want to be. And I've seen it happen in many different ways. And so just knowing how to show a person how Vector can help them get there, that causes a person to want to gravitate towards taking advantage of the opportunity uh, to get to where they want to be. Yeah, that's a, a good insight there is being able to, as you see the talented people in your organization, digging into what is it that they want in their future and helping them realize how Vector can be a, a great vehicle for that. Right. And there's just so many amazing things that people can get out of being a district manager in Vector, even if it's just being a DM for three years and then moving on. It's like so many of these podcasts I've run with alumni are people who are involved in some level in management. And in many cases, they were a DM for a while with Vector and really got the full package of the Vector experience to be able to take on to other things. And of course, for some people that become DMs, they eventually stay here and become division managers and you know, end up like you and I in the company for a, a long, long time. So that aspect of being able to help people identify what it is that they want and, and being able to tie in how Vector is the vehicle. How about specific ways that you've developed some of these young leaders that you've worked with? You talked about Dean and Chris Naku. You've got some amazing people in your organization now. Darren Burns comes to mind. What are some of the ways that you work with them to help them develop into who they can become? I think the key is Darren's like one of the easiest people I've ever worked with. And he he's a lot like Dane where it was very simple to partner. They wanted to partner with me. And so sometimes I think some district managers feel that they're competing with their division manager versus working with them sometimes where, especially when you talk about development and the right path for people. And for me, it's like, I want to know what our DM sees as a vision for the people in their organization. I First, I want to know what that person sees for their vision. So their talent that's coming up in the organization. I want to see what the DM sees for their vision, but then, and then I want to be on the same page and I might see it have a different vision for an individual, but the communication with a district manager and the division manager is the key to the success of the district manager and having the same vision for the people in that district manager's organization and the people in the division. And uh, when there's a partnership there, 
that's when we see growth. And uh, Darren has been amazing at that. And so as Alex Burns, formerly Alex Lombardo, and it's really been easy to work with them over the years and uh, uh, just seeing how they, they've grown. And, and then it's also finding the right person to drive activity. So sometimes when there's change, many people are resistant to change. And it's being able to find out who you can utilize to drive change in any organization. It might be if I'm a district manager in my office, who's the person that I can get to drive this to make this get going? As a division manager, who's the manager I can go to to make sure this, besides my office, get this new project that we're getting going? For us, it was like social media. Who can I get to drive this forward to make this really effective in our organization? And like Sebastian is the person, he's kind of like my go-to because he'll jump onto something and drive it. And so it's from uh, Cotter where it's like you find that one person and then everybody else follows because they see the success that person has. And when anything that comes to recruiting, Sebastian's golden with that. And so it's really great to find those people, but then just dig in with them and partner with them. And I was able to do that with, and then getting quality time with people. So Josh Dix, I used to be my pilot sales manager, Grant Paterakis, and partnering with them, working with them, really teaching and helping them grow, utilizing their skills, giving them freedom to come up with some ideas to improve how the organization works. And just like it's identifying who the right person on the bus is. And, you know, they both go out and win silver cups as new managers. That's like when you find the people, really dig in with them, understand what you feel is best for them in terms of how you can help them grow and then give them an opportunity. But just again, partnering, I think, is the biggest thing. There was so much that was great in that part there, Greg. If you're a vector division manager or you're somebody running an organization, hit the back button a few times and just listen to this last couple minutes once again. In particular, where you shared the idea of leveraging others to drive change or to drive programs, right? Leveraging others to drive different little elements of your division. I think about, right, we always used to have like, who is our best interviewer? And that person would be teaching the interview at events. And that person sort of viewed themselves as being this great recruiter, right? Who's the best at different parts of training, right? And being able to have them teach that, right? And then besides those sort of core programs, the different innovations that are happening, right? Driving change, like you said, like Sebastian is your, you know, your expert in social media and learning how to create better results with social media recruiting. That's a great insight. And that helps these people to grow and evolve. And they feel like they're a part of the leadership. They're helping others. They're kind of learning how to be a DVM themselves one day. And they're all growing and evolving as a part of your division. And that's one of the, the ways you've built so many strong individuals in your organization. I think that was really, really great. What do you think, Greg, are your key strengths or your key philosophies as a leader? Yeah, to me, it's servant leadership. I really do what's best for the person. And that's where I strive to really do what's best for the individual. I don't get wrapped up on getting credit. That's not what's important to me. I want to shine the light on the people that are really making things happen. And our organizations, it was just us. I didn't sell any Cutco last year, right? So it's the people that are doing the work and, and really being a servant leader where you're just focused on, on their success. To me, 
my theme to my division is building districts. I think that that's how I view my job. I run a pilot that's extremely important. I understand that. And leading in the pilot is extremely important because it raises standards for people. But I look at my job is I have these people that are running districts and they are trying to build a business. And my job is to help them build their districts. And that's my number one focus is helping build their districts and then getting the right person on the bus. I remember as a new DVM, just trying to serve everybody, being in servant leadership. I tried to communicate with everybody. And I had a conversation. I remember reaching out to Mike when we were both DVMs. And Mike said, you know, you can't talk to everybody. You have to pick the top people and then have a couple of the top people talk to the others. And so that made a big difference. He also said, he gave me this advice. He goes, put the right person in the right spot. And I think that's important to like make the right decisions. And when you have the right person, really dig in with them and give them the opportunity to really shine. I don't want to go into too much depth on that. But so I would say having the right person on the bus, servant leadership. And, and yeah, that's, that's really what stands out to me. Yeah, the concept about doing what's in the best interest for each person, regardless of the competitive implications or the you know recognition, who gets the credit implications, that's a core philosophy that I think every good leader, particularly in Vector, has to eventually come to terms with. Because as long as you're in there thinking about what's going to get the most sales right now, I don't know that that's, that's the right question to be asking all the time. Obviously, we're in a business of creating sales and growing, you know, and building our organizations and selling more each year than we did the previous year and all those kinds of things. But the more that you focus on the numbers, I think it creates some sort of unhealthy elements in an organization. And the more that instead you look at every single individual as what they are, an individual, a person that wants things and, you know, has desires and has aspirations and try to think, how can I help this individual get to where they want to be? Uh, you know, in the best manner, that's what builds strength for the long term. And, you know, that's clearly a, a philosophy you've adopted for many years. How about some of the key young leaders that you have? You've got so, some such great people on your team that I think it'd be cool for Vector to hear about. What have been some of their success factors that uh, have helped them do well? Yeah, I, I just had a call with uh, one of our new, uh, well, going to be a new DM, Jacob, who is Sebastian's younger brother. And uh, he's ready to to take over the world in Vector. And I'd say one of the things that you can look at certain leaders and you see strengths that they have. And one of the strengths Sebastian has, both his brothers are in the business. One's going to be his, one of his assistants this coming year. One's going to be going DM. He was a top five branch each of the past two years in overall sales and uh, opening up in Grant Paterakis's old territory. So very excited for his opportunity. Our other top new DM I'd say the top two, Mike Foreman, and uh, also from Sebastian's office. And it's like when you see that person who has just that hunger and that passion to go crush it, it's really exciting to see that. And usually there's that one person and that it's like in our region, everybody knew last year, it was obvious that Colton Horn just had that hunger. And I feel we have and we have others that have a lot of hunger, but these two have exceptional hunger. And, uh, and then Carlos Shoemaker, he's part of uh, what's, what's now Skyway and part of Chicago. He's kind of a in-between in like limbo, but uh, 
He's going to be branching again. Uh, Carlos is from Josh Dix's organization and just going to about to conquer the world. Uh, he was a top five branch last year, running his third branch this coming summer. So very excited about what's happening. And we have some new, new DMs, uh, especially the one I'd probably highlight is Chaz Brown. Chaz is running an office in the city of Chicago and uh, love working with him. He's got this great desire and hunger. He's just a guy who finds a way to make things happen and uh, really excited. And our events team is, is growing. Josh Gort runs our events team and it's exciting to see uh, how the growth is happening in that part of our organization too. So the future is very bright in Chicago. Uh, we have five new DMs that are opening up this year in our division. And so we're excited about what's about to happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. How about uh, on a personal level, Greg, what are you most excited about for the future? Wow. Personal level. Uh, well, I'm coaching girls basketball, fourth grade girls basketball. And uh, I've shared this with a bunch of people. So I'm going to share this with everybody. My, my daughter, we were down by three points with four seconds to go. I called a timeout and and uh, like no one can shoot a three-point shot in fourth grade girls, right? So my daughter gets the ball. She's the only one who can possibly get it to the hoop. And she should have been, it should have been a four-point play, but she just threw it up and somehow it went in. We tied the game. <laughs> but like I was like, you know, jumping up and down. I looked like a little girl on the court. Um, so uh, after she scored it, her teammates are carrying her. It was like the ultimate experience as a dad to see that happen. So for me, it's, you know, time with family. And uh, that's, that's what's most important to me. And play, playing tennis, that's my, my time is tennis. Family time is, is family time. But uh, yeah, those, those moments are awesome. So yeah. that's, that's what's exciting. Well, you know, to bring this full circle, I, I think that a lot of our most rewarding experiences in life are going to be things involving our family and our kids and are going to be the achievements of other people who we help. And it's clear you've embraced those things for many years. You rattled off so many names of people that you've influenced here over the last 10 or 15 minutes. Dane Espigard, Chris Naku, Darren Burns, Alexandra Lombardo Burns now, Seabass and his brothers, Josh Dix, Grant Paterakis, Jacob, Mike Foreman, Carlos Shoemaker, Chaz Brown. All of these people are great reflections of the people that have led them which are some of your young leaders, you know, Darren has led a lot of those and Seabass has led a lot of those and Josh Dix has led a lot of those people and others. And all of those leaders are reflections of you, right? And what you've brought. And so it's so cool to see you perpetuating your greatness all throughout the Chicago division and, and the Skyway division as well. Now that's been, you know, an offshoot of your organization and, um, and of course, through Dane Espigard and the things he's been able to do and others, like your presence is being felt all over the central region and throughout the company. And it's been great to witness that, uh, Greg, as a longtime colleague of yours. So awesome job on all the things you've done. And thanks so much for making some time for the podcast here today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Greg Strine, everybody, truly one of the greatest reflections of what Vector is and the kind of company that uh, we have here in terms of being able to build other people and build a great lifestyle while doing that. Greg has been a prolific developer over the years. You heard him describe right how he learned to separate his personal life from work, be able to turn work on and off 
as needed. And of course, developing your organization is a prerequisite for being able to do that because you got to have people that can take over when you're not there. If you want to be a business owner and you don't want to work 16 hours a day, you got to have development in your organization, giving people responsibility, having people lead the way in developing programs or innovating different things that, you know, were a part of his organization. His focus on what's best for each individual. Again, this is a important paradigm shift for uh, managers to make, uh, leaders to make as they're building an organization is the switch from what's going to get me more results right now to what is the best path for this one single individual here in front of me for the long term. And if you do that with every individual that you're a part of, you'll be building a stronger long-term business. Greg also spends a lot of time one-on-one with his key people, investing into them, finding out what they want, helping them tie that into their vector opportunity. And it's evident to see through the cadre of great leaders that Greg has mentioned, many or most of whom's, whose names were mentioned on this podcast. So shout out to the Chicago division and all the great things you guys are doing. Thanks, Greg Strine, for your time on the podcast today. And I hope all of you have a fantastic day. See you later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.